so it was suggested that I should give a little bit of an update on my dad. Uh, he had a very rough day today, uh, a pretty significant setback. At about 7.30 this morning, I found out that he was, uh, a rapid response team took him to the ICU and uh, he had um, an emergency EGD done, which is an esophageal kind of approach to fix uh, bleeding in his stomach. Um, that was not successful, so they had emergency surgery to try to correct um, the bleeding. And uh, at various points, the surgeons were coming out and saying there's nothing more they can do, they can't fix it, which would basically mean that he would die. Um, the one surgeon, however, uh, continued to, to work and was able to stop the bleeding using a um, patch, he called it, of stomach fat. I guess speck is good for something. And stopped the bleeding and so at this point, um, I would describe his condition as critical. He is uh, sedated and completely out of it, uh, which he probably will be through the day or at least part of the day tomorrow. Um, th the best case scenario would be that everything continues to, to hold. But um, if, the, if the bleeding starts again, there's nothing additional that they can do. Um, the stomach has a little fixture at the bottom called the duodenum, something like that. I'm using, I'm a layman for sure, which is ulcerated and it allows blood to flow straight into his stomach um, and into his um, small intestine, which is internal bleeding. Uh, this morning, last evening, he was very stable. And this morning, he very rapidly, his blood pressure and hemoglobins were dropping very fast. Um, he was given uh, let me think here, six units of blood today in about three or four hours. And uh, I think a major transfusion is considered five units, I think. So and in addition to that, he was given two units last Monday evening. So thank you for your prayers. Um, yeah, like I said, I would describe his condition as very critical. Um, we don't know what the future holds. So. Good evening. Welcome to Bible School. Tonight again, Nate's going to be sharing in the first session in the book of Acts and the start of the church. In the second session, Daniel Kaufman will be sharing about his experience and lessons he learned in Australia and Kenya. And that will be up here in the auditorium. And downstairs, Paul Fisher will speak on Jesus' words on missions. Again, the warning bell is at 7.50, and the final bell is at 7.55, and for the second session, the warning bell is at 
and the final bell is at 8.30. And speakers in the second session, if you want to just close in prayer, that would be greatly appreciated, and then you can be dismissed from there. We lifted an offering last night. If some of you weren't here and would like to give, you can um, give your money to me, and I'll make sure it goes in the right place. And if you have a check to make out, you can make it out to Weavertown Ministries. I think we are ready for our evening, so let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your many blessings, your love for us. Thank you, Lord, for the plan of salvation. Thank you, Lord, for our church and for the church, Lord, that you establish. I just want to pray, God, that you just be with Nate, Daniel, and Paul as they share tonight. Give them the words to speak. I pray you just anoint their lips. Pray you just be with us as we listen. I pray our hearts will be open to hear your word. I also want to pray, God, for the Stolsky's family. I pray you just give them the strength they need as they care for their dad. Pray for Wilmer just to be near to him and Lydia. Pray, God, that she could just sense your presence near her. Pray, God, you just guide and direct them. Just be with us tonight. Thank you, Lord. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Nate. Good evening. Hope your day went well. Last evening, um, we finished up the um, section on the joy of our salvation, talking about our love for Jesus, our commitment to Him. This evening, I want to um, talk about two things, sort of. I have the um, class this evening entitled, The Power of the Ordinary. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. I want to read several verses here as kind of a setup um, for what we want to discuss this evening. So last evening we read 14 to 36. This evening I'd like to start with uh, verse 37 and read to the end of the chapter, and I invite you to stand as we do so. Acts 2, verse 37. Now when they heard this, the previous... Um, statements by Peter. They were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourself from this untoward or this corrupt generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. 
And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. You may sit down. Sometimes we view missions as something far more imposing and intimidating than it is. And that is probably true if uh, in your first thought about missions when you thought about Bible school, if you were thinking about going to a faraway land and spending uh, however much time in a different culture and different language and people that you didn't know and so on, if that's your view of missions. Many of us sort of have this idea that to be significant, something has to be big or new or different or drastic or flashy. I sort of alluded to that last evening. And that's just simply not true. And that's not a biblical idea at all. And uh, Jesus had some very personal conversations in the gospel with some pretty ordinary people, like the Samaritan woman, for instance. And Jesus' ministry was specifically to those who were seeking. He was, he was interested in talking to seekers. And Jesus was not necessarily trying to change the minds of the high priests and the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. He had a great deal of criticism and even harsh words sometimes for them. But for people who were in need and people who were seeking him, Jesus had all the time in the world. And even some people that his disciples raised their eyebrows about Jesus spending time with. Now, big dreams are commendable. We ought to be thinking about ways to change the world. The problem with that kind of thinking is that you and I can't change the world. And when we dream big and when we think about changing the world, we're inevitably going to be discouraged and realize how little we are and how futile it sort of is. And even if, even if we're being motivated in the power of the Spirit, uh, that can be the case. So we struggle with feelings of inadequacy. There are few of us crazy enough to think that we could be used to change the world. Most of us are keenly aware of our frailties and our smallness and our shortcomings and our lack of qualification. And I think the older we get, the more that is the case. And part of that is that we live long enough to make enough mistakes that we're just not as invincible. We don't feel as invincible as we once did. And discouragement... And that kind of, um, those feelings of inadequacy can quickly lead us to a path of apathy and or cynicism. There's no indication in the book of Acts that the apostles or, or, or the other people in the book that are mentioned uh, and that the Holy Spirit was working through, that they were particularly talented or special. Even the council here in Acts, they, they were perplexed because Peter and the rest of the apostles were unlearned and ignorant men. But they did take knowledge that they had been with Jesus. Okay? 
So the apostles themselves were fishermen and regular people. Peter, James, and John were fishermen. They weren't all fishermen, I understand that. But they were regular people, and they were not particularly educated, and they were not particularly qualified. And before Jesus' death and resurrection, when all it seemed that they did was bicker with one another and pick and fight, and Jesus even got exasperated with them, and you look at that group of people and you say, them changed the world? What are the chances? Well, that's kind of where we find ourselves. They certainly were not wealthy. They weren't flush with resources. They didn't have all kinds of books and um, study helps and whatnot to help them uh, figure out the scriptures and so on like we do today. But in Acts, they were full of the Holy Ghost. And because they were full of the Holy Ghost, they were gifted by the Holy Ghost uh, to do his work, which we are as well. Now, I did not take the time earlier in the week to mention this, and I probably should have. This is one of the dangers of galloping through something like the spiritual gifts in a mere uh, 90 minutes. There have been generations of Christians who, who have been faithful in the usage of their gifts without ever knowing what their spiritual gift was. So if you were sitting here um, feeling inadequate and uh, ignorant and unlearned because you didn't know much about the spiritual gifts, I, I apologize. Um, at some point, if this really interests you, there are all kinds of resources and books that you can read. But it, it can be sometimes difficult to, to try to figure out what our spiritual gift is, and, and maybe it's not even a necessary exercise, although I do think that when, when we understand where we are particularly gifted, it does give us a, a certain amount of direction and it helps us kind of to understand ourselves and sometimes what Jesus is calling us to do. So I do, I, do, I do think it's important. I don't think it's something that we should get hung up on. The important part for us is to be faithful and that's sort of what I want to get at this evening in the power of the ordinary. I had another thought there that um, I kind of lost my thought there, sorry. So for those of you who, who don't know what your gift is, just, just relax, just relax and allow the Holy Spirit um, to speak to you and, and learn to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. Young people in particular, it's, it's kind of difficult for teenagers and even 20-somethings to always understand what their spiritual gift is because it takes a certain amount of living to, to really um, sort of figure it out. Um, we, are particularly, we are particularly effective in the areas of our spiritual gift. When we are young, we often try a lot of different things. Some things we're more effective uh, in than others. Some things we enjoy more than others. Some types of ministries is just our thing, and other things aren't. Those are the kinds of things that we can often use to find out what our spiritual gift is. But young people, for you, just, just live life and take the opportunities that you have in front of you and, and focus your energies and, and attentions on what's important. Um, learn to support your church here. 
And by doing that, you support the global church, the body of Christ. Learn to um, have the disciplines that Jesus taught to love people, to um, learn to forgive. And Yeah, that, that is also true. That is also true. So the, the living is, is what's important, just the, the day-to-day living. And it doesn't have to be anything big and grand and glorious. So the adversaries, the chief priests and so on, they saw that the apostles had been with Jesus. And I started last evening uh, by talking about the... Uh, wise and the foolish man and the difference between them. And I'd like for us to think about that again. It is important for us to have been with Jesus. It is important for us to have a relationship with him. All our other efforts in missions or whatever pale in comparison to the quest for a deep, meaningful relationship with our Lord. Jesus clearly taught that the assignments of big things were reserved for those who were faithful in little things. Luke 16, 10, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful, is faithful also in much. You know this, you've heard this, this is not new to you, but we need to remind ourselves about this. If, if we are not going to be faithful and disciplined in the things that are least, we, we are simply not qualified, we are not we're not qualified to, uh, for, for the big things. And we need to learn to think um, small. It is required in stewards that we are faithful, not talented, not even gifted per se. It is required that we are faithful. So I'm going to suggest two areas this evening that... I think the Holy Spirit has um, put on my heart to share with you way, uh, places, ways and places that we should concentrate on being faithful. These are stakes that should be driven deeper as the habitation of our tent grows. You remember that illustration from Sunday evening. As the cords are lengthened, the, strength, the stakes need to be strengthened. And I'm suggesting that these are two areas that we strengthen these stakes. Now, I'm not suggesting by my comments here that the stakes are wobbly and about to pull out. That's not what I'm suggesting. I'm just, I'm just bringing us back to some of the ordinary things that we can do to equip us to be more effective in our, in our ministries. The first one here um, maybe is geared a little more to those of you who are young. And the second, maybe a little more to those of you who are uh, less so. Now, I'll let you decide what young is. I'm not particularly talking about the youth group. I'm talking about those of you who are young. In chapter 2, that we, the verses that we read in verse 42, the um, new converts, they, were, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and breaking of bread, and prayers. And so I'd like to concentrate on those um, things this evening. And f- for starters, uh, particularly the doctrine, and the, break, the fellowship, and the prayers. And talk a little bit about our worship services. 
Now, we don't know much about the worship services of the apostles and the New Testament church. I wish we did, don't you? What do you think they looked like? What do you think that, where do you think they were? What do you, what do you think they did? Did they begin with two songs and a prayer and then devotions and something a little bit in between and uh, Sunday school and so on? We, we don't really know. We do know that we have our tradition and uh, our heritage and our tradition works and, and has and does. We know that they were steadfast. We know that their interactions or their services, whatever, included teaching, fellowship, eating together, and prayer meetings. That's what's given uh, for us, and we don't know much else. So our corporate worship, the vibrancy in the life of our corporate worship, is something that every single one of us has a part in. So I'm not talking to the church leaders here this evening. I'm not talking to the preachers, the pastors. I'm talking to those of you who are members of a church, this one or otherwise. If our worship services are corporate worship, that's a term that we use. It's a, on a Sunday morning when we get together here in this house, this house is dedicated to the worship of God. And when we come together here, that is our stated purpose. We understand this. We know this. But in my experience, our Sunday morning services, and this is true at Trauger, by the way, and I'm talking personally now for me, walking into our church uh, at Trauger. Our Sunday morning services are one of the places that I find I can get really complacent and lazy in, in my Christian walk. Now, I have been taken to church on Sunday mornings ever since I was probably a couple of weeks old. I don't remember when the first time was. I was very small, I'm sure. And my parents were very faithful at church attendance, Sunday morning church attendance. My parents were also incredibly faithful at every other church service attendance, whether it was evening or otherwise. We, well, never say never, but we, I don't remember ever missing. So for me, going to church on a Sunday morning is a habit, and for you it is as well. And habits can sometimes become just that kind of mundane when we get complacent and lazy in our Sunday morning service attendance that affects our congregation or doesn't it does it matter or doesn't it I think that's one of the things we have to decide we have to think about we have to decide if it does affect our congregation in a negative way, that hinders the working of the Holy Spirit in the lives of our congregation and possibly in, in, in the lives of and even the ministries that we're involved in. Does that matter? Well, of course that matters. This is so ordinary that sometimes to us it loses its value or power. And that's my point this evening. We need to start with the things that are ordinary. 
we need to consider the power of the ordinary. Just because something is ordinary does not mean it is not powerful. And corporate worship is powerful. So when you walk into church on a Sunday morning, when you walk through these doors in the back, what do you, what do you bring with you? And one of the things I think that we need to bring with us is we need to be in a position of need. And I've said it several times, the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts worked at times and places of need. And when we walk into a Sunday morning church service, if we don't need anything, But you see, we, we, don't, we don't like to be in need. That's a vulnerable place. And we are self-made people that can pull ourselves up with our own bootstraps. We are hard workers. We don't want to impose on anyone else. We want to have it together. But spiritually... If we come to a worship service, we need to come needy. Needing His grace. Needing His presence. Needing His empowering. Needing His love in our hearts for other people. You heard me use that line last evening. And so forth. You can add to the list, I'm sure. Over the past couple of years, I, well, actually going back probably 10 years or more, starting here at, at Weavertown, I did a series of Bible studies. Elmer uh, Stossus, uh, Elmer and Anna Elmer, um, organized a Bible study, I don't know how many years ago, for some of the families that had come from uh, the Amish church. And then I did a, a, a similar thing with the Amish people in Perry County, for a couple of years. And one of the things that was so gratifying about that work is I would drive, we would, Jane and I would drive an hour and a half to Perry County and, and we would arrive at Bible study. And Bible study started at 7.30, I think it was. And there, were, there was no singing, there was no devotions, uh, there was nothing of the sort. They wanted to get right to the main thing. And someone would lead in prayer, and I would teach for an hour, uh, sometimes an hour and ten minutes. That's long. I only keep you people here 45, and you're probably ready for it to be over. And when I was done, they weren't done. And they would have gone on. They were practically on the edge of their seats. There was no one walking out, not even the children. The children sat. Some of them fell asleep, but they sat. And that was partly what was so gratifying about that teaching. To a teacher, what more can you want than people who sit there bug-eyed and listen to what you have to say? 
Now, I, I know, I know that the euphoria of a new believer is something that probably cannot be sustained. I, I get that. But my question to myself was, why, why am I not hungrier? And my question to you this evening, why are we not hungrier? And that was their thing. They were hungry. They needed. And they weren't ashamed of it. They were hungry. Why aren't we hungrier? When we walk into a Sunday service, why don't we get more excited about Bible studies, prayer meetings, weekend meetings, and so on? They're so ordinary. But corporate worship is a powerful thing. It's ordinary, but it's a powerful thing. And it's something I think that we need to think about. It's a stake, I believe, that needs to be strengthened. Why do we have such a take-it-or-leave-it approach to a service that's designated as a worship service? Is it the service or the worship that we don't find particularly appealing? You see, there is the practice of worship, and that's coming to church on a Sunday morning. But there is also the discipline of worship, and maybe that's where we're weak. If we, in fact, are coming here on a Sunday morning to meet with God, how does he feel about our cavalier attitude toward that meeting? Now, it's true in my experience that when I have a part to play in a, in a Sunday morning service, whether it's teaching Sunday school or uh, having devotions or leading songs or some of the other part in the, uh, the, the service, that, that is a service that often uh, I am more blessed by. And part of the reason is because I'm more invested in it. And so when I teach Sunday school, there's time spent in preparation to teach the Sunday school. And when you do that, you always learn more than when you just sit in class. When I lead songs, I take the time to prepare songs that would be appropriate um, for the service and try to hear from the Spirit of the Lord to discern what we should sing on any given Sunday morning. And that sort of preparation and involvement makes the service more meaningful. And I'm sure that all of you pastors, you, you would say the same thing. But there are a lot of you here that don't particularly have a part in the service. So what do you bring then? What do you bring then? What do you put into the service? Now, maybe you're spending a lot of time in prayer at home before the service, and nobody would know that, right? Right, nobody would know that. What do you bring to this meeting with God? Now, I asked a lot of questions there, and I'm, I'm not giving a lot of answers. These are, these are questions that are designed to provoke our thoughts. 
personally, and I hope you're not thinking about someone else. I hope you're thinking about you because that's what's necessary here. So let me uh, go to another section here um, and talk about our singing. Now, I'm aware that singing is mentioned once in the book of Acts, just once. It's not much of a theme in the book of Acts. Uh, the only place it's mentioned is where Paul and Silas were uh, praising, uh, singing praises at midnight when they were in jail. Singing isn't really much of a theme in the New Testament, period. It's much more of a theme in the Old Testament, particularly in the Psalms. But I think all of us understand, uh, we understand that singing is a vital part of our worship service. When Ralph Miller preached at our church a number of months ago on uh, lengthening the cords and strengthening the stakes, he asked the question, how is your singing life? And so I'm adopting that question and asking it again here this evening. How is your singing life? Now, I'm not necessarily talking about how the singing sounds in this congregation. You understand? I'm asking you personally, how is your singing life? Now, I'm also aware that I have to be careful of gift projection here because I like to sing. Um, I come from a line of people who likes to sing. And so I'll, I'll try not to project my gift on you. But um, when we sing together as a congregation, that's what we're doing. It's, it's, it's singing together. There's something rich about singing together. And it takes discipline to enter into a hymn and make it be praise to God. Is it praise just by words coming out of our mouth or is it praise when our brain engages with what's coming out of our mouths? Does the Lord receive praise from singing for the sake of singing or does the Lord receive praise from people who mean what they're singing is a question that could be asked. How is your singing life? What happens to you when this congregation sings the song at Calvary? Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. What happens to you when you sing that here? Anything? Now you have a lot of visitors in this church. What do they think when you sing that song? What if a skeptic walks into this church service, sits down, and you're singing at Calvary, and he's looking around? We have a fairly, well, we have a number of, of young believers at Trauger, and I'm so blessed by the songs that they choose in our services. 
Now, we also have a number of people in our church service that are very uh, accomplished singers. And sometimes what the accomplished singers want to sing and what the new believers want to sing is two different things. We've sung Amazing Grace more in the last two years than I'm any other two-year span of my life that I can remember. One of the songs that we've sung again and again in the last year has been Deeper, Deeper. And when we sing those songs, the church rings. It was two weeks ago that we, um, we started the service with a couple of sort of newish songs. And newish songs don't always go the greatest. Um, that's not to say we shouldn't sing newish songs because we can't learn new songs if we don't sing newish songs, but they don't, they don't always go the greatest. And then uh, in the, between Sunday school and church, we... Uh, we switched to selections, and someone um, selected the love of God is greater far. And it was like someone, someone had turned on the amp. Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole that stretched from sky to sky. So we stood to sing that song, and I have a bad habit of kind of standing sideways, partly because I can hear better and partly because I can look around a little. And I was so blessed by the amount of people whose faces were just uplifted and their eyes were closed that we didn't need the books to sing that song. We've been singing it for decades. That was worship. That was worship in song. Now, I probably shouldn't do this, and I'm going to have to deviate from my outline here a bit, but I'm going to anyway. I'm going to tell you another story, and I wasn't sure that I wanted to do this because I'm not sure I can get through this story. But I'm going to try, so you'll bear with me. This happened here, right up front, a couple of years ago, it was uh, a Thanksgiving service. I guess it would have been 2015. The Thanksgiving service was here at Weavertown, and I was leading the singing. That was Thanksgiving, uh, October, uh, several weeks before my dad had been diagnosed with lung cancer. And his prognosis was not good, and we knew it. I don't think it had quite sunk into me yet, but that Sunday morning, I don't remember the details, but I was up front here um, singing. We, we were singing, My Jesus, I Love Thee. I don't remember if I'd selected it or if it was a selection. When we got to the verse... I will love thee in life, I will love thee in death, and praise thee as long as thou lendest me breath. Uh -huh. 
I got as close as I ever got to having to sit down on the front bench while I was leading songs because my dad was right on the aisle about halfway back and his head was uplifted and he was singing as well as his scarred and battered lungs could. And he did. He praised him as long as God lended him breath. But here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. That wasn't the first time I'd seen my dad sing that song like that. That's the way he always sang, My Jesus, I Love Thee. He wasn't singing any differently that morning than he was ever before. He wasn't singing like that because he had lung cancer and he was about to die in a couple of months. He was singing because he loved Jesus. And when he sung that song, he sang it like he meant it. It's just that at that moment, I sort of caught on to what was about to happen. I'm not sure what would have happened that morning if I'd have had to sit down and just put my head in my hands here on the front bench and cry because I needed to lead another song after that. So I'm not sure what would have happened. But I held it together and but that's worship. That's worship. Our, acape- our tradition in a cappella singing is rich. And thanks to places like faith builders and music camps and so on, the tradition is in good hands. But ultimately, our singing has to be about worship. And if we lose that, we can sing ever so beautifully in four-part harmony, but and if we lose that, it's not going to be FB's fault or anybody else's fault. It's going to be the fault of individuals in our congregations who, who forget what it's like to discipline themselves uh, to worship. So, If we want worship in our church services, I'm sorry, if we want singing in our church services to be about worship, then we have to be a little careful how we treat the singing in our worship services. Should should we be using singing, is it a good idea to use singing as a way of getting people into the auditorium? Should we be using singing as a filler to fill up empty time or empty space? Maybe we should think about those things. All right, moving on, speaking about prayers. I'm so blessed because I know that this church is a church that prays. And we all know that, that, that prayer and the filling of the Holy Spirit go together. We, we know this. I don't think I need to tell you that. And um, I just want to commend those of you who are still uh, meeting on Wednesday morning in prayer. Uh, I know that the youth group at one time met on Sunday mornings for prayer. Tremendous, tremendous thing. I know that there are men's groups that meet together and support each other in prayer. That's one of the things that I think we're, we're weak on at, at Trauger, and it's, it's being worked on. There's some things in, in the works. But we need to spend time together in prayer. 
I think it's strongly implied in Acts 2.42 that the prayers referred to there are group prayers. And I know you people pray together in your Bible study groups as well. And I'd, I'd just like to encourage you to make those more rich and more meaningful times. But in a church service, there are also prayers. So this evening, uh, Joe led in a prayer to begin. So what, what does your spirit do when there is prayer during a worship service? Does your spirit connect with that prayer and pray along with that prayer? Or does your spirit just take a break and do something else and then uh, come back to reality when the prayer is over? We're guilty of that sometimes, aren't we? I am. I have been. And you probably have too. When we pray in a church service, is just the preacher supposed to pray? Or are we all supposed to pray? Now, that takes discipline. It takes discipline to enter into what's being prayed and have our spirit agree with that prayer. But that causes us to pray together, corporately. There is strength in that. I think every time an amen is said in church, there ought to be a murmuring of amens all over the place as people have been praying along and whose spirits are uh, praying with the one who's praying out loud and then we give our um, amen at the end. Why shouldn't there be a corporate amen at the end of our prayers? What if we would begin every worship service with five minutes of prayer? All of us, together. Now, I know that some of us do, because I've seen it. I know there are some of you who come in and sit down, and you pray. And I want to commend you for that. What if we all did that? What if we prayed for 10 minutes? Do you think it would make a difference in the first song? Well, see, the problem is for us to do that, we'd have to be here. And what in the world would the children do through five minutes of prayer? By the way, that's a long time if you're trying to keep the little ones quiet. But you know what I think? I think our children could easily be trained. I think it's the adults that we'd have trouble with. So here's the thought. And I know I'm being a little bold. And may, uh, hopefully I'm not overstepping my boundaries here as a layperson. But our, our services are very speaking heavy. So I'll just ask the question, is it time for us to make more time for singing and prayers? But that will only be effective. That would only help us if as a congregation we would be willing to enter into those. Our worship services are ordinary occurrences. 
week in, week out. They're orderly and they're traditional. If we are faithful in the ordinary, if we are faithful in the ordinary, the Holy Spirit will speak to us, the Holy Spirit will speak through us, we will do business with God on a Sunday morning. We will arrive in need and our needs will be met. That's the promise of the Holy Spirit in us. And that's Jesus' promise to us always. When we are in needs, our needs will be met. He will work through our weakness. He is strong when we are weak. When we are strong, And our Sunday morning services can and will become real celebrations of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I apologize to you because that was half of my outline for this evening. I was doing so good this week, and I just blew it. So I have until tomorrow evening to regroup and figure out how I'm going to fix this. Thank you for uh, listening to my rantings. Um, I'm not trying to be critical. And I want you to understand that these are questions that I, I'm asking in my own heart of my own life. Um, and, and they do bear fruit. They really do. Because I enjoy our church services um, like uh, never before in my life. And my prayer is... Uh, that you would experience the same.